This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, October 7th, 2014. I'm Caleb Brown. The president has taken us to war, asserting he has the authority to do so. What's less clear is exactly where that authority comes from and exactly who it is the U.S. is fighting. Cato Vice President Gene Healy argues that we've now entered a time in which American-led war is the natural backdrop for all of these discussions about presidential power. The last time we were talking about bombing Syria, the president asserted, I have the authority, but I'm going to go to Congress. And this time he seems to have been, uh, I guess, a little less welcoming of that debate. Well, he used the same phrase, I have the authority, uh, in his nationally televised address on September 10th. Uh, But it did uh, take them quite some time to settle on where where that authority is drawn from. It was uh, several weeks later after a bunch of false starts that they've come up with, uh, well, a a number of rationales. Uh, They do not rely very much on the argument from Article 2, from inherent presidential power. Uh, That's not the sort of thing the Obama administration likes to do. That's for the overreachers, the bad folks like uh, Bush, Cheney, and John Yoo. Uh, Instead, what they do is they've seized on two past authorizations for the use of military force, each of them more than a decade old, passed by other Congresses to uh, authorize prior and very different wars. So what is really the relevance then of the fact that these were drawn up such a long time ago. I mean, separate from this idea that these particular groups maybe share one or two people in common or uh, with al-Qaeda or direct affiliates of that group, what is, is there a specific relevance to the fact that these are a decade plus old? Well, I think you, you see the relevance when you start looking at the actual authorization. So to start with, uh, they floated the argument that uh, the administration needs no further authorization for our third war in Iraq since uh, 1991 because of the 12-year-old authorization for the use of military force that Congress passed in 2002 to uh, give President Bush the power to uh, depose and disarm Saddam Hussein. And the problem with looking at this, I mean, you could start with the title. It's helpfully titled Authorization for the Use of Force Against Iraq Resolution of 2002. The operative clause uh, talks about empowering the president to use the armed forces to deal with the continuing threat posed by Iraq. And while this is a war in Iraq and Syria, uh, it uh, it does not uh, really meet the criteria. You're talking about uh, a very different statute that does not look like a permanent delegation of the war power to any president uh, in a matter of decades uh, to deal with any threat from the region loosely defined. So it, it's very likely then, do you suspect, that uh, a future president will view the AUMFs of 2002 and 2001 as unending authority? Well, we've had two administrations so far that have viewed the 2001 AUMF, the authorization for the use of military force passed uh, by Congress three days after 9-11, 
uh, to authorize the impending war with Afghanistan and the continuing fight against al-Qaeda. We've had two presidents in a row use that uh, resolution in an ever-expanding manner to add new groups of so-called associated forces, a term that appears nowhere in the resolution, uh, to, to authorize a continuing series of military strikes against a continuing series of groups. Uh, within the case of ISIS, it really doesn't fit very well because the uh, core group of al-Qaeda has publicly repudiated and excommunicated ISIS. So you're left in the, uh, the weird position of saying that, the, that ISIS is an associated force of a group that refuses to associate with them. During the campaign of 2008, President Obama, then Senator Obama, talked a pretty good game about what, how he construed his uh, powers as, uh, as president as being fairly limited. But by the middle of 2009, he was already talking about uh, al-Qaeda and its extremist allies. And then from then on, it seems like it has further expanded the, the definition of people that he felt comfortable going to war with. Yeah, what's interesting is we're not allowed to know who's in the associated forces. I mean, they've told us this time that, that ISIS is, but as recently as last year, Senator Levin uh, at the Armed Services Committee hearing uh, asked a, a Pentagon official for a list of the associated forces. You know, are we at war with uh, – does, does the Defense Department consider us at war with uh, – you know, Al-Shabaab in Somalia and uh, Boko Haram and, uh, and groups such as this. And he was told that while the Defense Department might provide him with a list, that list could not be aired publicly because it represented a national security threat if, uh, a, because, as this official said, the, just by publicly identifying uh, groups on the list, they, they built credibility among the jihadist community, and that could in turn make them more of a national security threat. You'd think that by bombing them, you, you know, if, I, if identifying them uh, built their street cred in the uh, broader world of Islamism, uh, you'd think bombing them would, would really do the trick. Uh, but you were actually in this bizarre situation where we don't, we don't know who we're at war with. This is closely held information, and it's on a need-to-know basis, and in general, the public doesn't need to know. You made note uh, at a recent uh, Capitol Hill event that there is some debate about exactly how many countries President Obama has bombed and also President Bush. Yeah, this is one of those uh, through-the-looking-glass moments. Uh, this is just a week or so ago. Pundit fact, which is a offshoot of uh, PolitiFact, uh, the uh, fact-checking group run by the, the Tampa Bay Times, they evaluated a reporter's claim that, uh, that President Obama had bombed more countries than did President George W. Bush. And they rated the claim as true, but they couldn't settle on an exact number. They got to something like eight countries for Obama. And the report they wrote up included this intriguing sentence that, quote, both presidents may have bombed the Philippines. Uh, there's a, an incident uh, that was reported uh, in uh, the Bush administration in 2006 and later on in the Obama administration. 
Again, this is because under the uh, the both administrations' interpretations of the AUMF, uh, it is who, whether who and uh, where we're at war is information that the uh, administration feels comfortable concealing from the American people and, in some cases, Congress. And I think this is this points up to something that. Uh, has really changed in the constitutional war powers area. Uh, I mean, Obama, to be sure, is not the first president ever to launch a war without authorization from Congress. I mean, that happened plenty of times in the in the 20th century. But when it did happen, uh, you had often these short, sharp, frolic and detour operations, even when you had longer operations like uh, troop deployments to Lebanon or Somalia or Clinton's 78-day air war over Kosovo, you, you at least had some sort of territorial limitation. And what's happened under the administration's uh, limitless interpretation of the AUMF, uh, you don't have any you, – you've got a war without – temporal or spatial boundaries. And what has really started to happen is a new normal in which peace is not the backdrop. Uh, peace is not the default setting. War is the default setting. And uh, departures from a state of permanent, quote unquote, kinetic military action uh, are things that have to be justified. Uh, it's really a, a, a strange situation to be in and almost the opposite of what our Constitution envisioned. Gene Healy is a vice president of the Cato Institute and author of the new book, False Idol, Barack Obama and the Continuing Cult of the Presidency. Get your copy at Amazon and at Cato.org. <laughs>